ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our space. Everybody, welcome back to another Raging Roundtable, the Twitter space. The community where we talk about all the things we love, Raging Cajun related. Back with Jerry and Nick for another edition. I'm glad everybody's here. Looking for some good participation tonight. A lot on the table. Two or three from Georgia Southern. Softball uh, goes three and one in the Texas swing. Uh, we've got some basketball news. Theo Akuba declares for a professional career of some sort. Lose a few guards. Um, and also, we got La Neck this week, which is always fun to talk about and uh, critique. And, uh, you know, hopefully some of their fans will join. Hopefully some of the Southern Miss fans will join as well because they just took care of business against Tech this weekend. Gentlemen. What should we lead the show with? Nick, please let me know. Well, first of all, I don't think you're going to get any Louisiana Tech fans in here because they all have a swap. So uh, I guess let's talk about some, some good baseball that we saw this past week. Three and one. I like it, man. Should have been 4-0. So not as happy. I mean, I said I'd be happy with a, a 2-1 and one record against Georgia Southern this weekend, and we did that. But, man, that Saturday game. That one's going to be one that we look back at and, and say we should have had it. So the the Saturday bug, Saturday curse got us again. But overall, happy with our performance last week. The weird thing is that the vest jerseys, right? The uh, the 2000 World Series run, those jerseys, who, look, I love those jerseys. They're nostalgic. Every time I see them on, I, I just, you know, you get the warm and fuzzies. But I think we're winless in those jerseys this year which is super bizarre, but it's just one of those quirky stats. We can't win in the vest jerseys. Burn them. Burn them. No, not really. Not really. But, yeah, <laughs> no, I feel you, man. It's bizarre. Saturday curse. I don't know what it is this year, but we've had a lot of games on Saturday. We should have won. Yeah, I don't think there's any other way you can describe it. I mean, you control the game for seven-plus. Jacob Schultz, for my money, has one of his most impressive outings. His stuff was absolutely electric for six of those seven innings. I think he probably could have been pulled towards the latter end of that seventh inning. You could kind of tell he was getting gassed. But, man, the split finger had everything you wanted on it. He His fastball was lively, uh, and he was dominating hitters. Now, look, he left up. He left the, the, the fastball that he threw to the, the guy that hit the ball out of the ballpark. It was, it was a mistake, but he made maybe two mistakes in seven innings. You know, the guy made him pay. It's, it's unfortunate. Uh, but outside of that, you, you still had guys in the bullpen. You had a full complement of, of good relievers that have shown that they're good relievers recently. And, you know, Chipper couldn't close the deal. You know, credit to Dirk. Came out through strikes. Looked good doing it. Just couldn't couldn't finish the game there. Um, I think that Deggs is right in that this team needs to learn how to win games. That one hurt in particular. Uh, you know, we're still not hitting the ball on Saturdays like the way that we know we can. It wasn't an offensive barrage of any kind. But look, when you control the game that way, you expect to win that game. You can't walk away from that with a loss. Uh, that 
I was in the park. There was a feeling of just total domination, and people were getting kind of lackadaisical towards the end of that game. It was just kind of a foregone conclusion that that game was in the bag. Nick, what did you see? Uh, you know, I know that you were probably watching on TV, but what did you see? I, I saw yeah. I saw a team that just got to learn how to close it out. Yeah, lackadaisical is a good word for it. Not going to trash the kid. But, man, early in the game, Lede had a, had a play where – he, he caught a routine ground ball at second, and then he kind of underhand tossed it to the first baseman, to Rocco, for the out. And he, the, the, the runner almost, almost beat it out. And, I mean, routine play. He should have he had the guy by three steps. But he, he took his time. He threw it underhand. I don't know if he was scared to make an error, so he wasn't trying to force it. And that was a close play, and that came back to bite us later in the game where we should have had a tied ball game going to the bottom of the ninth, and he pulled the same stun. He kind of just, you know, lazily, for lack of a better term, threw the ball Rocco at first and running was safe. And credit to the Georgia Southern uh, hitter who who slid in to, to beat it out. No doubt. But man, all you do just fire it in there, man. Fire it in there, get the out, tie ball game, and you have a chance to win. And I think that deflated us more than anything. Um, and and interesting to see the, the our strategy for this game with so many bunts at the beginning of the game. And then you get a runner on first with the chance to, to move him over to try to get a base hit, and we're swinging away, and, and I think he hit into a double play. So interesting strategy that we had, but again, it, it happened this week. It happened last week. It happened against Houston. happened against Southern Miss, Arkansas on the ace. I mean, it's a trend. We got to break this Saturday, Saturday snap. I don't, know. I don't know what it'll take. But again, happy with two out of three. It really should have been a sweep. You know, when's the last time we had a 4-0 week? It's been a long time. And you made some comments that really bring up some points. You know, first of all, in that ninth inning, why are we playing the third baseman up? Or why, you know, we, we're chasing we're chasing an out. I, I don't want to say it like that because that's probably not fair. But I did not agree with playing our third baseman up for a hitter that was coming in batting like 260. And he hits a rocket pass Rinconis. Yeah, I, I thought that that was, that was an issue uh, to begin with. But I will say about Bobby, you made a, a comment about Bobby. Well, I'll tell you what, before I go to Bobby, I'll say this. The bunt placements that you mentioned, those bunts were some of the best bunts that we've hit all season long. Uh, and they, they came consecutively, which was crazy. I mean, these guys were just putting the ball right where it needed to be. And, and it, it, to me, it was almost like the football mentality, like, hey, if they're not going to stop the veer, you run it down their throat until they can figure it out. I would have liked to continue doing the small ball stuff. It felt like we got away from that a little bit. Um, and maybe that was part of the plan, and, and we're not privy to that. But I could see how that might have been why. Um, but but moving on to Bobby, what do you make of Bobby at second? You know, we know he can hit. He's got natural talent in the box. You can see it. It's all over him. But you cannot ignore the, that lazy approach. And maybe lazy is not fair, but that – lackadaisical approach the the you know too cool for school almost like how are you not getting dirty on that Bobby you got to charge the baseball we're, we're talking about a game where you got two outs with a man on third you got to extend the game you, you got to do what needs to be done I, I was I was thoroughly disappointed in the effort not necessarily the result the result sucked of course but the effort Nick it, it just you know, I don't know. I, you know, if, if Deggs is seeing that in practice and he's seeing it in warm-ups, 
are we supposed to be surprised that it's happening in games? Because I'm seeing the same guys I saw last year, and we had the same complaints, and we had the same issues. Where's the disconnect here with the coaching staff and Bobby Lede? I don't know, man. I mean, I think they're they're hoping, like you said, he, he's been hidden, so I, I guess that's, that's the reasoning behind it. But, again, it's, it's a pattern that we've seen since last season, and I've seen it this season. Even when he would be, I think he played first base earlier in the season, and it was the same thing. He wasn't in a hurry to, to get to the base to, to – to catch the ball. So I don't know, man, that that's a Scooby-Doo mystery that that's been weighing on me. And I really don't have an answer for you, but I don't know. I mean, does he, do they give him a chance again at Louisiana tech this weekend? Um, good question. We'll see. We'll see where their head is, but I'm, I'm thinking it's getting close to the end of Bobby starting. But again, I don't know. I'm not privy to those conversations. We'll see what happens in the next uh, couple of games. And the other thing is you see Warner go out and play a great second base and play with some fire. And I know he hasn't been healthy over the last couple of weeks, and that that might have played a role, but you see a competent second baseman and what he can do and the weapon that he can be. He also had an RBI, talking about Warner, he also had an RBI single in the game. It shows that there was a glaring weakness there, and, and, you know, as fans, all we can really do is question how these decisions are being made. You know, that's kind of how I looked at it. Uh, and, and, again, going into the weekend, in conference, Warner Rinconis was our leading hitter. Statistically, he was our leading hitter. So, you know, again, the health might have played into it, but having him at second base showed how he could lock down that position. It wasn't like it was an, an, an out-of-the-water, you know, fish-out-of-the-water uh, position for Rinconis. I mean, he looked great. He looked great. He, he played hard. He has grit, and he's hitting the baseball. Anytime he really gets an opportunity, guy's playing well. It's, it's tough, really, to, to reconcile. Jerry, I see you there. What you got? Well, it looked like we've improved this week. Um, we went three for four. Thought we should have gone four and oh. Um, I, I'll repeat what you guys said about the Saturday game. I think we're, for some reason, Saturday seems to be our kryptonite. Um, and we basically gave the game away. I know there's times where people say that's baseball. Uh, that's not baseball on Saturday. We, we basically blew the game. I like the way we, we responded yesterday. Uh, I thought, I thought our, I thought I thought this weekend we hit the ball hard. Even at times where we couldn't get on base, even at times where we didn't really uh, put the ball down for a hit, we were still getting a lot of hard outs. Did you guys notice that as well? Because uh, there were a few line drives all three games where I thought we we pretty much tattooed the ball to just you know compliment Georgia Southern on on being there to make a play. What do you guys think? Well, I would argue we've done that all season. This this is a team. Yeah, that's that, what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, this is a team that doesn't really strike out a ton, and they don't have many poor at bats throughout the course of a baseball game. It's just you know Julian Brock is a microcosm of the season offensively. He hits the shit out of the ball. It's just always at somebody. You know, he even made that comment. You know, it was family day on Sunday, and we were walking the kids down to the field, and he was talking to his dad, and they were having a conversation about getting the three zero green light uh, that he ultimately hit out of the ballpark. And he said, you know, his dad asked him, he said, you know, how'd you feel about getting the green light on 3-0? And, and he kind of smiled and he said, well, if it was anything like the season was going, I was going to hit it at somebody. So it kind of gave me a little bit of insight of, of what we've talked about here. We have a lot of guys hitting the ball hard just at people. And it was only a matter of time, a matter of time before the ball started dropping, Jerry. Well, I still, I still think we tattooed a lot of pitches uh, this week more than – and you're right. I mean, look, we're not – 
we, we don't strike out as much, but I even I thought there were a lot more harder outs this weekend than we usually get. Um, and, and look, credit credit Georgia Southern. They made some nice plays, and I mean they were there to make a few. You know, they were they just happened to be standing there for a lot of those line drives that came to them, especially in the infield. But overall, I I, I think that our approach at the plate has, has, has improved over the last week or so, um, starting with the South Al series. We're being a lot more patient, but at the same time, we're hunting fastballs a little bit more. So overall, I'm very, I was very pleased with, with us offensively. Now, still, we have opportunities. We have instances where we have men on base early on, uh, you know, in runners in scoring position with less than one out and we don't score, uh, we still need to improve on that. Um, especially now we're getting down to that very important stretch uh, or conference play, and we're going to start playing some decent teams, uh, you know, non-conference matchups during the week like Tech tomorrow as well as LSU in a few weeks. you got to be – those are the t- those type of games where you have to take advantage uh, of having runners in scoring position because you know they're going to counter. So I, I just think offensively we're, we are getting better. Defensively, I think – there are there you know we we didn't really make many errors but you know we talk about Saturday I mean <laughs> I, I think it's safe to say in my opinion that Warner Rincona should be the second baseman from here on out I mean that's just my opinion you can't you got a guy you got to go ahead and run at third base uh, in the top of the ninth inning team just took the momentum from you two outs you got to make that play at first base I mean that that's that's lack of awareness and look we don't know what goes on in the locker room but I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I'm sure Matt Deggs wasn't too happy about that, but uh, he made an interesting comment the other day or this morning. He said that he saw certain things around the fourth inning where he felt that we, we might have lost the game. Kind of interesting to th- uh, hear what your thoughts on that are when you can, you know, even though you're up three runs, you can see something like that early on. What 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 was your take on that from, from his comments where he said he saw some things in the fourth inning that didn't look too good for uh, for the final result? I have no idea. I'd have. To, I'm. I'm pulling up the box score as we're talking. I'm trying to think. Uh, there was nothing in particular that stood out in the fourth inning. I'm not really sure. I, I can tell you this. Look, we went an entire week and played error-free free baseball. But that play that Bobby made or didn't make—that's an error, dude. I know they ruled it a hit, but that wasn't a hit. I mean, come on. Any any knowledgeable baseball fan is going to watch that play and say that's an error. Bobby loafed and waited, and he thought he had the guy at first base, and he didn't do his homework, and he didn't know what the batter was capable of. Now, I used the word lazy earlier, and maybe that's not fair, but in my opinion, that is lazy baseball. You got to know your opponent. Plain and simple. You got to know your opponent. I, I, I don't, there's really not another way to describe that. You can't double clutch and flip the ball over. And it's like Nick said earlier in the game, he tried to underhand a play and he got away with it. But we all, we, we were all, <laughs> I had my breath held and, you know, that should have never happened. Play the position, dude. You're not a shortstop anymore. Second base is not the shortstop position. Don't play it as such. I, I just, I do not like the way he approaches the game in general. I don't like his approach at the plate. He's up there. He takes daddy hacks because it feels like he needs to keep his position uh, in the lineup, and he's not doing it on the field, so he feels like maybe he's got to pick up his slug or hit one out of the ballpark. I don't know. But I like Warner. I mean, we've been talking about this for weeks. I like Warner at second base. He is easily our best defensive infielder. There's no reason why he should ever play anywhere else. Yeah, Jerry, and to your point earlier uh, about how they responded on Sunday, I'll talk about a couple of good things. 
the, it was it was clear they were coming out with a sense of purpose um, for some reason that I guess warrants another conversation. The game wasn't on ESPN Plus on Sunday, but I did listen to it. And one of the things that Jay said was that Rockford in one of the first plays of the game, he, he ran, he ran to, to first base with a purpose. Like, they were playing with a purpose. They were playing to be aggressive. So that tells me that the coaching staff saw the, the lackadaisical play from, from Saturday and told them they needed to step it, step it up an notch, and they responded. So I was happy to see that. Also happy to see, for all three games this series, they didn't give up the early runs, man. I, again, for 10, 12 games, they give up two, three, four runs in the first inning or two innings of play. So it was really nice to see us to kind of to, to score first. Um, didn't work out for us on Saturday, should have, but that really got us off to a good start. I mean, Max, first pitch, first, you know, here I am saying, man, we need to be patient at the plate. Max, just first pitch of the series, just, just lifts one out of the ballpark. So that was exciting, and I think that really set the tone and, and the attitude for, for this weekend. So a couple of good things that I did see uh, over the course of the three games. And to your so, point, so, Nick, to your point, every starter this weekend, all three guys, Schultze, Tally, Jeff, El Jefe, gave up one run or less into the fifth inning. You can't ask for more than that when your team is built to win offensively. Saturday happened the way it happened, and it was unfortunate that we gave up four runs in two innings towards you know at the, the latter part of the game. But your starting pitching gave you an opportunity to win all weekend, and we should have swept. And, you know, I know that you can never expect to sweep. That's just really not something that you should expect. But when Saturday was over, you felt like, man, we let one get away. And I even made the comment that that's one of those kind of games that when you give it away late like that, it's hard to flush. It's hard to get over. I was very encouraged to see the guys come out on Sunday with a purpose. And I was not at all surprised to see a new second baseman. So to reference what... um what I mentioned earlier about what Deg said about uh, he thought we had the game lost in the fourth inning, possibly from what he saw as far as uh, what was it the Saturday game. Yeah. I think, thankfully one of our listeners uh, just sent me a text and I think he was referencing uh, the fact that we had the bases loaded with no outs and was only able to score one run. Um, it kind of goes back to what I talked about the number of times we leave guys on base and runners in scoring position and we can't capitalize you know, luckily our bats responded, but the same thing happened yesterday. Uh, we had a guy on, we had guys on second and third, no outs, and we couldn't score. Um, you know, again, I, I like the way our offensive production was this weekend, but man, you got to take advantage of that. You can't, you got to score at least one run when you have that, right? But I want to make a, I want to make a comment uh, about you talked about the second base uh, or the lack of the, uh, the lack of or lack not getting that out by, by Leday, you know, you talk about how, uh, you know, he played shortstop and, and it's a different position, but really it's, it's almost, it's almost like a lack of baseball IQ, uh, when it comes down to making those type of plays. Um, unfortunately, you know, you look at plays like that, that you see guys like Debo and how natural they look. You look at T-Rob at third, you see those, the type of decisions they make when, when trying to, to get an out and, I just think in a situation like that, like you said, Josh, you have to know the situation. You got to know, okay, you got a guy at third base. They just tied it up. They have momentum. They've been playing small ball on you all inning with these bunts and they're squeezing, basically beating you at your own game this in this half inning. 
you could get out of this inning, but the guy at bat is pretty much the fastest guy on the team. You, you got to be quick, man. And, and to me, I think that was just a kind of a, a lackadaisical moment. I think that particular moment just lacked a little bit of baseball IQ. And to compete at this level, man, you got to be on your P's and Q's every time. You, you can't you can't slip up in moments like that. So I just wanted to kind of add that in uh, in that particular case, uh, the top of the ninth with those two outs, how we couldn't we just couldn't capitalize on it. I agree with you. Talking about capitalization, though, Friday night, Georgia Southern comes back, ties it in the eighth, and then we respond with a three spot. And, I mean, that happened. It happens on Sunday, too. They twisted the knife on Sunday as well. That is the mark of a quality baseball team. When they have the opportunity and they seize it, to me, that, that talks more about the character of your baseball team than the ability of your baseball team, and you got to have both to be very good. I thought that the way they responded in both Friday and Sunday games uh, uh, told me a little bit about the makeup of this guy, of this particular bunch. And it's encouraging going forward, man. I mean, we're, we're, we just crossed the halfway point. I think we did that last week. We've still got the bulk of our conference schedule, and the conference is very good and very healthy, as we talked about in the last episode. So, you know, if you go on a run, maybe get 15, 16 out of the next 20, you can legit. I mean, we still have the number eight strength of schedule in the country. We sit at forty-eight RPI wise, and funny enough is that our, Georgia Southern came here, lost two out of three on the road, and moved up in RPI. So that goes to show you how the strength of schedule really plays in. Uh, but the point I'm trying to make is that we got a long way to go, and if if some of these things can start taking root now, you can start to look ahead and say. If we take care of business in conference, we still got we still have two Louisiana Tech, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but we have two Louisiana Tech games this week. We play LSU two more times. Uh, Texas State is the second-to-last conference series, but also their RPI is high, and they're a ranked team, the number 10 in the country this week. Uh, and that's not a mid-major poll. That, are, that is in the uh, Baseball America poll. Number 10 in the country in this conference, uh, and not named Raging Cajuns are, are Coastal Carolina. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. So the health of the league is great. You still have plenty of opportunity to increase your your standing in the national eye. We have a long way to go. So these intangible things that we're seeing from this team really matter to me. I'm looking for that. Uh, you got, look, Debo's starting to figure it out. He's growing up in front of your eyes. Julian Brock is one of the top 10 in America. Look it up. Defensive catchers. He still has yet to have a pass ball this season. His throwout rate is outrageous. I think it's number six nationally. Uh, he's starting to hit the baseball. You know, you saw him hit the, the – the, I mentioned the home run that he hit, but he hit a lot of balls on the screws, and he's he's getting it. It's happening. It's happening. You can see some of these guys really coming into their own. I'd like to see Hoodie be a little bit more consistent because we know what kind of talent he possesses, especially offensively. I think defensively we have really figured it out. If we can solidify second base – and, and I think we have. And if Warner stays healthy and all that is good, I, I think that's the defensive lineup you go with. And you also have CJ out here who goes three for four on Sunday, double, double, triple. I mean, he just comes in off the bench like he's been playing all season. You know, keep in mind that CJ can also play a second base. Now, I think Rinconis is more talented with the glove, but I'll tell you, I think that CJ is a serviceable second option. Uh, but to have a left-handed bat like that coming off the bench... I mean, what can you say? That shows the health of the offense. But the, the, the fact of the matter is we're still not hitting where we should. We, we, there's, there's a lot left to be desired. So 
just uh, kind of curious on the overall general feeling of the team. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, I was going to say you can clearly, or at least I can, clearly see the improvement from week one to week three to the Troy series to today. And I'm a big picture guy. So, of course, I want more improvement. Um, we keep we keep up with that trajectory. And and I think we're going to be in a good spot come, come regional time. Um, I mean, just think about it. A couple weeks ago, I was bashing, bashing Degs for saying we were a regional team. And I'm like, where's the regional team? I don't see a regional team. But I, I can see it now. I can see where if we, if we continue winning two out of three um, this coming weekend, we should sweep Arkansas State. Now, will we is a different story, but we have a good opportunity to take three from them. Um, and if we continue winning and, and you know, getting a three-in-one, four-in-one week, I think we're going to be in a good position. But, you know, three, four, five weeks ago, I would not have said that. So, yes, we, we've got – it seems like we have a strategy in our bullpen now. We have a strategy for a starting pitching. Um, we're, we're still hitting with power, but it's not just solo home runs, you know, to make it a 7-1 game instead of a 7 nothing game. We're, we're actually getting base hits when it matters, clutch hitting. So yeah, I, I'm encouraged by what, by what I've seen. But again, we still need to clear or to clean some things up. Like Jerry said, we need to to, to really take advantage when we have the opportunities of runners on with nobody out. That still seems to be something we can't get past. Uh, but yeah, I, a big picture guy. I think I think we're looking good. Um, hopefully, get a good. My, my hope is that we get good seating in the tournament and then make a run there, and then uh, if we don't win it all, see what happens. Because, again, our RPI, strength of schedule, um, we've got a great opportunity against Rustin this weekend or this week. So, uh, yeah, um, looking forward to see what this team can do. Speaking of clutch hitting, you know, it was very nice to see people not named Carson Rockefort hit the baseball and have thank clutch you. at bats on Sunday. Yes. You know, Rock, exactly. Rock came up with a couple of opportunities to to do some things. And, you know, we had the bases loaded. You know, you guys mentioned the bases loaded thing, and he hit a rock at the third base, who, by the way, we absolutely wore out the third baseman this weekend. That guy got plenty of playing time. Swear to God, we hit 50 balls his way. Uh, it was great to see other people hit the ball and have clutch at bats. I was very happy to see that. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say that they, look, like Nick just mentioned, as far as, you know, being a big picture guy, we've got nine games from here until Easter that are very, very winnable and not just winnable, but could actually give us momentum if we take care of business. I mean, look, you know, Nick, you mentioned about how we were kind of raising our eyebrows. We were sitting at nine and 11 just two weeks ago when Deg said that we're a regional team and he was very optimistic. He seemed like he was in good spirits and we're all kind of like, look, we're not seeing it. Well, since then we've gone five and two. And really, if you look at those two losses, we really should have gone seven for seven. But you take what you can get, you know, you go five and two, you show improvement. Um, but starting tomorrow and Wednesday, you've got back-to-back games against uh, Louisiana Tech that, that has their top 35 RPI. Then you've got a three-game series in Arkansas State, who I think they're sitting at like five and 20 right now. But RPI-wise, they're not great. But knowing the fact that we haven't been playing too well on the road, this is a golden opportunity to go on the road in conference, take care of business, and then come back for – a midweek game against a decent Magnese team before closing out uh, next week, um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday against ULM at home, who also is no slouch of a team. So, 
that's nine games right there that are winnable games. Uh, what I'm going to be looking for tomorrow night or starting tomorrow night between tomorrow and Wednesday is the same type of style of baseball we've been playing over the, this past week. You know, attack, attack the plate, play smart, clean defense, and, and hopefully our pitchers, the big thing has been, about, has been our, our pitchers, can we have the depth to be able to halt that Louisiana Tech offense? They're going to come out pretty angry. Uh, you know, we beat them two out of two last year. They just lost an embarrassing an embarrassing loss in Hattiesburg on Sunday, and they, they're, they're going to be coming out uh, sniffing blood, but we got to come out and, and, and counter and, and carry the momentum into what we saw this weekend. Um, these next nine games, if you can take six or seven out of these next nine, where things are going to be looking good, and, and I feel really good about that. But it all starts tomorrow night, Tuesday and Wednesday night, at a minimum, minimum we have to split. Can't go over two. Now, if we go two for two and go two and oh, watch out. Watch out because we're going to make a run. You go two and oh tomorrow and Wednesday, I'm telling you right now, we will make a run. All right, before we move off, or before we move on to the nexters, I got two quick final thoughts on Georgia Southern. What were your overall opinions of the team as a whole? And what were your opinions of Swan, number two? chirping with Section A and basically letting the, the go-ahead run score on Friday. Yeah, I so that's funny. I was actually going to ask about Swan because, again, for some reason the game wasn't televised, so I really didn't get a good uh, good view of his antics. But um, overall, again, we, we had missed opportunities um, all three games. We should have, I'll say it again, should have won on Saturday, should have been 3-0. But I will, uh, I'll take 2-1. I'll, I'll use Saturday as a learning experience, and, and we'll see if that translates, as Jerry said, into the Louisiana Tech games this weekend that are, are, excuse me, this week that are huge. Normally, midweek games aren't that big of a deal, but because there are so many RPI implications uh, on these two games, I'm hoping they carry that momentum into it. But yeah, I'm pleased. Again, I think Rinconis at, at second is the answer. I think Lede in, in a pinch. If Rincones is hurt or getting some soreness or, you know, maybe maybe insert him there. But I think you'll see Rincones in and then late in the game, if we're trailing by a couple of runs, you might see us uh, put Willis in as a DH and, and maybe take over at second. So um, very pleased with the weekend overall. Um, happy with the way things have gone. And, again, hoping they carry that momentum into, uh, into the week. And one more thing. One more thing, Josh, before you, you move on. Look, we're sitting at 14 and 13. And we're still a top 50 RPI. I mean, what does that say about our strength of schedule? What does that say about the teams we've played? And really, what does that say about some of the games we pretty much have blown? Um, I mean, I'll, and not to sound negative, but the Troy game on Saturday, or the, the Saturday-Troy game when we went up there, blew a 3 nothing lead. The Saturday game against Georgia Southern this weekend. The, basically, the game where we walked enough batters to lose by one run to South Al. I mean, the, the Arkansas game. There's at least four or five games right now that if we would have just finished the job and taken care of business, we're looking at maybe like a 19 and eight record with an RPI of like 15 or 16. And right now we're looking at an at-large regional bid. I mean, that's how close we are. Uh, I think Matt Deggs made the same point this morning on Scott Prather's show of what I just mentioned. You take three or four games and, and us finishing the job, we are an at-large team. So, 
again, the, the good news about baseball is you get a lot of chances to redeem yourself, and, and tomorrow will officially be game number 28, which will be the halfway mark. The, the second half could be a lot of fun if we take care of business. And look, we have a history of usually coming out stronger in the second half of the season. I mean, that's always kind of been our forte, you know, of Rage Occasion Baseball is coming in conference and, you know, going on like a 21-7 and run or a 20-10 and run. This is our right time to do just that. So I'm really excited of what we're going to see in the second half of the year. Matt, your thoughts on Georgia Southern? I mean, they came into the Teague this weekend with a number 19 RPI in the country. And, you know, I thought we played them well all three games. Saturday, you, you, for lack of better words, you gave it away. But I still thought that we played well Saturday. Uh, and, and, you know, Matt Dex thought so, too. He mentioned it in the press conference this morning that, uh, you know, even though we gave it away late, he thought we played pretty well throughout it. So, you know, I, w- I was pleased with this weekend. Again, you really want to win all three. You really should have won all three. But to give the game away the way you did Saturday and then bounce back and win the way you did on Sunday is huge because that shows that this team won't let a bad loss get them down, uh, which is which is huge going down the stretch. But uh, looking forward to the, the two games against Tech. They're good. Um. They, they've, they've hit some low points. They've struggled a little bit, but they're a talented club. Lane Burroughs is a hell of a coach. So two wins here would be a lot of momentum going to Arkansas State, who isn't a great club, but you can't overestimate them because it's conference. You know, you're getting into that stretch where no matter what their record is beforehand, it's zero. It's zero and zero every weekend. So definitely a a key stretch over the next couple of weeks, and I think we're trending in the right direction. And Matt, to add on to that, you know, you're talking about uh, a road trip. We still haven't been all that impressive outside of beating Southeastern on the road this season. So I think that's going to be very telling. This is your opportunity, especially against against Ruston and against Arkansas State, where you should have three on the road. This will be very telling if, if we can't, you know, have a winning record after this week. So we'll see what happens. It's true, Nick. And regardless of their record and how they're playing right now, Southeastern is still a team that beat Ole Miss and Arkansas in the same three-week stretch. So it's not like they can't play. Uh, my, I'll, I'll give a final thought on Georgia Southern, and then I'll let Jared go. I'm going to say that I thought we were far and away a better team. I thought we could have won – each game by three or four runs, and I don't think that's hyperbole. I'll take it a step further. I'll say that this year, the only team that I felt like we were really outclassed by was Stanford at Round Rock on Friday. I think that that was the only team that was head and shoulders above what we had to offer at our best. Every other squad that we've played, we were either equal or better, and that's that's the way I've watched the games. I think we've given away more losses than we've earned. And that's my thought on that. And Georgia Southern is included in that. Go ahead, JMV. Yes. Uh, good afternoon, guys. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole with this, but uh, I'm going to keep it at a yes or no question, and we can just leave it at that. Do you guys anticipate Bo Bonds returning this year? Yes. Uh, it is my understanding that we may see Bo Bonds this weekend. I was going to say, I'll think it'll be sooner than later. I'll say yes, but I think I would say I'd probably say it'll be at least a few weeks. I mean, I don't know anything about that. 
Okay, uh, let, me, let me let me chime in on this because from what I've heard is that it's going to be a lot longer than a week. Yeah, I thought the same thing, and then uh, I got some, uh, we'll call it intelligence this weekend that there's a real possibility that Bo Bonds is pitching this weekend. So, again, you never know. You never know what's true and what's not, but I'm just telling you what I've heard. So, it's all I can offer at this point. Yeah, it would be interesting because... Like I've said from the beginning, it's a very sticky situation for Matt Diggs with his history and with how Robe treated these situations. I I don't know. I I think that some of our fans would view it as a desperate move to get Bo Bonds back on the mound two weeks removed from a DUI. I just think that that's very sticky. And and it is, but, you know, Josh, like like you and I talked about the other night, a a guy who has a history of – alcoholism and substance abuse and, you know, whatever. They got the ultimate second chance would look pretty bad if he doesn't give a kid a second chance in the same situation. You're not wrong about that, but also Matt Deggs paid almost the ultimate price. I mean, he almost lost so many things. He he, he paid his dues. He, he got his punishment. And I know that there's a segment of this fan base that is very old-school, moralistic, pearl-clutching, We've dealt with them before. I know how it goes. I'm going to be interested how they respond to how Matt deals with this situation. It's unfortunate. It's terrible timing. We need Bo Bonds. I'm not, I'm not trying to be one of those fans that are like, oh, well, we need to show him a lesson. Look, at the end of the day, it's life. I want the kid to learn his lesson. I want, I want this to be a positive experience. You know, you win. You, you, you learn way more when you lose than when you win. All those cliches. At the same time, I understand Matt Deggs's position here where it's going to be tough no matter what he does. Either you sit a guy to make a point and make an example of him and, and say this is the standard of the program, or you don't, and it seems like, whether it's true or not, it seems like you're you're acting out of desperation. I, I don't think that's unfair. Yeah, and, and look, being close to a lot of those situations with Rogue, going back to... Justin Gabriel, I was in the office when that conversation happened. Uh, living, I, I said it on the pod last week, living in rogue shadow is, is hard enough for Dags. And I don't want to see seem like the, the guy who just goes along with things. But me personally, as a fan, and as someone who used to be, you know, really close to the program, I'm going to support my coach in whatever decision he makes. I'm going to support my player in, in whatever it takes for him to get back into the rotation. Um, and I'm not going to question either one of those. So that's just my one man's personal opinion. Um, nobody, no one person is bigger than the program. So I'll just support the program, support the guys in it, and um, hope the best. I'm with Nick and, on and this, look. and I'm just going to be a conscientious observer. I'm, I'm, I'm way more interested in the psychology of it all than the actual result and the decision that's being made. Because, I mean, that's a fascinating situation. It's a fascinating decision that he has to make. Um, of course, we support Bo, and we'll double down on what we said in the episode. We've all made mistakes. We've all made, you know, unfortunate choices, okay? And we've all probably been in situations where we had to make a tough call. So I understand both sides of it. Uh, I, hope nope, I hope nothing but the best for Bo. Of course, I want him back on the mound. For sure, we need him. But at the same time, I want to develop the guy into a real, a real man. and making This is one of those situations that you can learn a ton from. So I hope, it's, I hope and I also trust that it's going to be handled properly. Like we said on the pod last week, um, we don't know what goes on in that locker room because we're not there. You know, we're fans speculating. And, you know, 
it's another thing I said last week was I know, look, everything around this program, Tony Robichaud's name is still there. So obviously there's going to be a lot of instances like this one where we're going to look and say, well, 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 Robe did it this way. But Matt Deggs is now the head coach, and Matt Deggs has his own set of rules that may be a little bit different than Tony's, even though he wants to run the program a lot like Tony did. And in a situation like this, I think, like, and Matt, you made a good point about it, you're dealing with a head coach that was a former alcoholic, was someone who got a second chance, was someone who was almost blackballed from from baseball. I mean, you know, if, if Tony Robichaud doesn't answer the phone call, who knows, Matt Degg might have never coached again. So, you know, you you, you got to look at these factors and, and, and really kind of, you kind of have to take a step back and go, you know, we obviously know what Tony Robichaud would have done, but the, the dynamics in a, in a case like this where you have a head coach who, ha, who, who actually can empathize here that, that changes the ball game. And, and whatever happens, Nick, you made a good point as well, and I agree with this. Whatever happens, we're going to support the team. We're going to support the player. And, and really, at the end of the day, it's all about whether or not did Bo Bonds learn his lesson. And has he faced the consequences? Well, if he's facing the consequences right now, I know uh, uh, Deggs had made a comment on Scott's show this morning that he's going through their team reconciliation, and I don't know what that consists of, but he's probably paying the price. Um, I just hope regardless of when he comes back, that he learned his lesson. We'll see what happens, but, uh, you know, I stand by what the coach decides, and I stand by our players as well and hope that they uh, they learn from this. One thing that I'll say is that I have no doubt that Deggs is going to approach this thing with the utmost importance and care. While he aggravates the absolute shit out of me on the field, I trust him as a person that wants to develop people because he himself what, what, at one time was in that position and was developed as a person because of, in, in large majority because of this program and Tony Robichaux. So I don't think that he's not going to take the amount of care that needs to be taken. You understand, if, if that makes any sense. Anyway, if anybody else has another comment, just raise your hand there and I'll let you speak. But moving back to the field, we got Tech this week, two times, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'd like to know who you guys think that should get the start. You know, obviously, you still have Tommy. I think Tommy threw an inning, maybe four four outs. Uh, but he's available. If he was good enough to be your Friday starter, he can definitely pitch against Tech. Okay? He just needs to keep the ball down. So, you have Tommy, and I think you have Shiflet. Shiflet didn't pitch at all this weekend, if I remember correctly. You've got him, who he's trending way up, and I'd like to see more of him, and I'd like to see him in a starter role. So, those are two options. Do you guys have any other options you'd like to throw out? Well, tomorrow night it's been announced. I think Hayden Dirk is getting the start. Hayden, I, I love it, Jared. But do you guys think he'll get a short leash? I mean, you still got, like you said, you still got Tommy. Then come behind him. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I think he'll be on a short leash. I think he gets up three runs in the first, and then we're already got a guy in the bullpen. Well, Nick, if you look at this entire year, midweek, I mean, I don't think there's been a guy go longer than three innings total. Yeah. So he may be Johnny Allstaffing it Tuesday. What I would like to see is maybe get a Tommy, a Shiflet, uh, and and should even a Dirk. Give them give them the leverage to do the three, four, five inning thing on a Tuesday, and then Johnny Allstaff it on Wednesday. I mean, you're talking about two games that we really need to get, in my personal view. Uh, and I'm sure Deggs well, probably has a different view, but I'll I'll, I'll tell you what Matt Degg said this morning about Hayden Dirk. He said that Hayden Dirk can pitch the ball as much as he wants to. 
that was Dex's exact words. Hayden Dirt can pitch as much as he wants to, but the way he performs, what, what he's what he's meaning is that as long as Hayden's performing well, that he can pitch a full game if he if he wanted to. So I think Deggs has, has put a lot of confidence in Hayden, and that's evident in the fact that he he's going to start tomorrow night. But uh, the way he's the way that he's been pitching lately, I, I don't see any reason why he can't go, you know, five innings uh, of solid baseball. Yeah, Matt, I think I think the key is going to be him keeping keeping the ball down um, because you look at Tech, and they've only I think got one or two hitters over three hundred. But they can hit for power. They've got 34, 35 home runs on the season. So if he keeps the ball down, I can see him going five. But um, Let's see, Nick, I can tell you. he's in trouble early, and that's, that's what I'm worried about. Yeah, they've got, they've got two starters hitting over 300. they got one at 353 and one at 333. Uh, and then team home runs, they have 34 on the year. What's most encouraging I'm about Dirk lately – is that he's throwing strikes and he's attacking hitters. He's not nibbling. He's going after guys. If he can do that and keep the ball in the ballpark, I'd love to see him go five. You guys think that Dirk's pitching more because he may be picking up some of Bond's innings? Well, uh, there's no doubt that somebody's going to have to get innings on the Dirk way up. Dirk is pitching more because he's the best pitcher on the staff. He's the best pitcher on the team. Yeah, Jacob Abear, you can continue, buddy. I just uh, I agree with you from a talent standpoint. I think that the guy has he possesses the most high end potential. Uh, the only thing I'll say is that I think that they've mismanaged him to this point, and he's finally starting to attack hitters like like he's got some confidence back, and that is important going forward. I agree. I would also, yeah. by the way, just like to point out that from 1996 to 2000, we had an 18 game winning streak against Rustin, and as much as they like to throw out records in football, I just wanted to throw that one out for everybody to enjoy. It, it's, you know, going going to the Dirk comment, it's obvious the, that Hayden's got the best stuff. I mean, Deggs said that this morning. Hayden Dirk's got the best stuff on the team. But but unfortunately, as, as much as being a solid pitcher is a, is a physical thing, it's also a mental thing. And whether it's mismanagement or Hayden himself, he has, he has struggled a lot with the mental side of it over the last year. I would I would agree, like Josh said, I would agree that he's the most talented pitcher on the team. But as it stands right now, I don't know if I'd say that he's the best pitcher on the team. You know, I'll have to agree with that, Matt. Um, I, I think I, it's exactly right. I think Hayden, you saw it last year when he pitched against Rice, you saw a few of those games earlier in the season, and he really, I mean, when he was on, he was on. And I think in that Southern Miss game, it kind of started him. He started to kind of to kind of go on a decline a little bit. But if you notice uh, this year, Deggs has played him in certain points of games. You know, he played, he started, and played in the midweek last week against Southeastern, did a, pitched a really good game, and he's, kind of made some appearances like that and he's really started he's kind of slowly he's kind of slowly eased his way back in um to where i think tomorrow night is a perfect opportunity for him to 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 have a good a good night on the mound i mean look it's a midweek game but he's playing a tech team that i mean look they they still have a lot of pops to their swings uh this team hosted a regional last year so 
if there's any game for Hayden to give an opportunity to really get his confidence back and become a really huge contributing factor from here on out on the mound, whether it's in the bullpen or even starting at at uh, at some point, then tomorrow night's his night to do that. And I'll agree with you, Jerry. Um, the coaching staff knows that they have to kind of tread lightly with him and, and ease him back into into the rotation to where he can be a solid, reliable starter. So I do agree they've been easing him back in. Tomorrow night will be his chance to, and really not only his chance, but our chance to see see where he is. Um, hopeful, man. Again, if he keeps the ball down, and, and he can give up a home run or two if they're solo home runs, but if he keeps the ball down, um, is as consistent as we know he can be, then I think he'll be in for a good night. But if he gives up a couple of early runs, especially if they're if if they're hit out of the ballpark, then I think he may be in trouble. So I think the coaching staff knows that better than us, and I think they'll be prepared for it. You've got to remember that Hayden has never he's never came out of the bullpen until this year. Last year they tried to give him starts and got moved to the bullpen, but he's never came out of the pen in his life. Like you said, he's a guy he's got to get the ball from the first pitch of the game. And if he gets those first three outs, he's going to cruise. But if he runs into a little bit of trouble in that top of the first, the bottom first, whatever it is, you know, then it might be a shaky start. But he's a starter. He's a true starter. He doesn't need to be coming out the pen. Jacob, do you know Hayden well? Do you know uh, Kobe? Have you been watching those guys? Have you been watching him pitch in high school? What is the basis of your comments? Yeah, I, I actually coached. Hayden, his junior year, I was part of that North American coaching staff, and I know his dad, and and I know Hayden and his mannerisms and his mindset, and that's just saying he's a starter. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, just curious, were you watching that game at Southern Miss last year? If you were, can you give me some thoughts about how you felt that inning was handled where, you know, obviously you know what I'm talking about. Guy gave up a couple of bombs, walked a few guys. If you were watching, what did you think about that particular moment in Hayden's young collegiate career? He needed that. You know, he needed to be, you know, not the best baseball player on the field. You know, for 18 years of his life, he was. And, you know, he did need to be humbled. And I think it's only best for his career. And I think he's just going to build from that. As he gets more time on the bump as a starter, as he gets more time on the bump, He's going to get more confident, and when he's confident, it's when he's pitching well. I agree that confidence plays a big role. I would ask you this. We've heard a lot about Hayden and the the ability to overpower hitters in high school, and he could just throw it by you. What do you see in his development of his secondary and third pitch? Do you feel like it's it's improved dramatically over the year and a half? Do you feel like it's got work to do? Uh, He threw – almost exclusively, I think it was a slider that he was throwing. His changeup looks to be a lot better. What have you seen developmentally with Hayden over the last couple of weeks? Uh, I know when he was in high school, he had plus, plus off speed. I mean, it's, he's got a, he throws his curveball hard, and he's got to wipe out changeup. It's just he's got to be able to get in counts where he can be confident in throwing those pitches. So you think it really all just boils down to the confidence in himself? Yeah, he just needs time. I appreciate that. Go ahead, Jerry. No, Jacob, I'm glad you're here to explain that because, you know, Hayden, I think for me personally as a fan, 
being an observer, I think Hayden has the most potential of all the pitchers on the staff as far as somebody that had a lot of hype coming in. He has the mechanics. He has the speed. He has he really has the mechanics to get it done. And and I know as a freshman last year, he had a little bit of freshman jitters at times. Uh, and, and of course, when you look, when you're the star and you're the guy that everybody's counting on, sometimes when, when you face some adversity when you're younger and you, you have a little bit of immaturity, it, it tends to kind of to compound on you. And I think that's what we saw with Hayden. But I did want to ask you, uh, you talk about his confidence. And one of the things is he has to kind of settle down. In a situation now playing at the collegiate level, let's say, for instance, tomorrow night, like you said, he gives up one or two runs uh, to Tech, you know, bottom of the first inning. But he's still bringing some good stuff. In your opinion, from your experience coaching him, what will it take for him to kind of get over that hump? Is it, is it just more play time? Is it just is it him being able to just kind of – I mean, how does he brush it off? I guess that's my question. Well, I think that's what he needs to learn how to do is brush it off. He's, he's just such a competitor that when he doesn't get someone out, it does bother him. I think his next, you know, his growth comes from being able to give up one or two runs in an inning and still expect to get five or six innings out of him, you know? Yeah, that's a good point because one of the golden rules that I've always found with coaches at the collegiate level is, you know, a lot of times, you know, a pitcher gets up a home run, you just forget about it, right? You, 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 you see the ball sail over the fence, and next thing is like just focus on the next pitch. Is that kind of what Hayden is? That, would you say that's kind of his weakness? Like he can't, he, he, he keeps reminiscing on the last pitch. No, I wouldn't call it a weakness. He's just ultra competitive. He's very close, in my opinion. I think he's very close to being one of those pitches that not only is reliable, but could be a huge factor uh, on the mound for us moving forward. Uh, like I said, tomorrow night we're going to find out. I, that, that is a perfect test for someone like Hayden Dirk to play against a really good tech team that can hit the ball. I hope you're right, Jake, man. Uh, Jacob, I hope you're right. If, if he can go get a three-up, three-down the first inning, we can get five or six out of them. That'd be huge for our pitching staff, especially, uh, you know, it's kind of been our big thing, you know, not just, not just with tomorrow night, but as a whole, we're we're kind of playing with a pitching staff right now that you, you're you're kind of on pins and needles sometimes of trying to get five or six out of these guys. Uh, Jeff Wilson's been the one guy that's been able to consistently go that long. Uh, we saw Schulte do it on Saturday, but even BT, you know, Brandon Talley, you know, there've been a few instances where you know you try to. <laughs> It's like against South Alabama, you're like, man, just get that one more route to go five. Get that one more route to go five, and you come close. But that's kind of been the big thing with our pitching staff is longevity. Uh, I, kind of, I wonder what you guys thought about that and uh, just what you guys think moving forward on what we can do with that. Dirk being a quality arm, well, I mean, we know he's a quality arm, but being a reliable arm, I think that it, that might be one of the linchpins of this season turning and heading in the direction that we think it can go. I, I think that that's how important he is to our pitching staff. Yeah, I was going to say that um, I've been knowing uh, Hayden and his dad, you know, all my life. I, I grew up with Colby, uh, graduated with him and everything like that. And I know Jeremy very well at uh, Norfolk Million. And I, I kind of differ from Jacob. I think the uh, – and I think Jeremy, we've even talked about that too. I think Hayden would be better served as a closer. That's just my opinion. Well, I, and maybe so. And maybe that fits him a little bit more. He can, he can maybe get back to that bulldog, bulldog mentality. But I can tell you this. For this particular season, with this thin of long relief and only a few handful so far reliable 
starters, handful of reliable starters. I mean, for me, with the amount of upside that this dude has, I got to see him on the weekend at some point this year, right? I mean, he's just too damn good. He just has too much good oh, stuff. I agree with that. I'm just saying for him to play at the next level, I think I envision him being more of a closer. Just because you're a starter in high school doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a starter in college. Uh, because, well, let's, let's be honest, a lot of these guys that we're on that are on our pitching staff, whether they're relievers or starters or whatever, were they were probably all starters in high school. Because in high school, it's a game where, you know, more times than not, one guy pitches, you know, three quarters of the game, and then you've got another guy come in to close it. I mean, I'm not saying that Hayden isn't a starter. I, I think he's got the potential to be. But if Matt Deggs and Seth Thibodeau find him to be more suited for a, you know, a long relief or even like JMV said, a closing role, then, I mean, they're the ones getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to coach a D1 college baseball team. I do agree with Josh that he, this year for sure, we need him starting. I just think his future is a closer. Well, let's remember. Yeah, and I think. Let's, real quick, Nick, let's remember. We had a staff with Spencer Arigetti, Connor Cook, two top 10 round draft picks. And Hayden Dirk was unhittable in the fall, his freshman year. And he also was the opening day starter against a borderline tw- top 25 two-lane team. So we know he's got it. And B.J. Ryan is a major league all-star. He's seen it all. And he told Matt Deggs that this is the best pitcher we have. So let's remember that. And if Jacob's correct and confidence is the only thing standing between Dirk and major success, well, we need to work on that. Hang on. I, I don't want to get it twisted. He, he's got no lack of confidence. He, I guess my word is Experience. He needs experience with getting punched in the mouth and bouncing back from it. Fair enough. Some moxie. Learn a little moxie, learning how to get through the tough stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I was going to say, Matt, to your point, you know, lots of starting pitchers in high school become closers in college. And, Jacob, I will say, with, with really close ties to the program, a lot of what you said was repeated to me, um, separate and aside. So I appreciate your comments because it confirmed a lot of what I've heard. Um, but I will say, I think for him, I think tomorrow night's going to be very telling. I think tomorrow night for the future of him in his role in this team, will we'll see a lot tomorrow night that will, that will give us a good idea of where he fits in the puzzle. Because again, um, we know he's got great stuff. We know he is a good pitcher. We know he can bring it. But I think we tomorrow night we're going to have a good, I guess, second audition for him to see exactly where he fits on the staff. Hopefully, hey, no one more than me would like to see him as another starter for us, especially when we get to tournaments and regional play. Um, but we'll see. If again, if he if he keeps the ball down, if he you know maybe gives up a run or two, but but settles down after that, I think we'll be in a good spot. Um, but tomorrow night will be very telling. So so excited to see what will happen over the course of uh, the next game. And we need him. Look, we, there's no question. We need Hayden Dirk. Like, we need him. I mean, seeing what he did last year to start the season, I mean, it, obviously his potential's there. There's a lot, there was a lot of hype coming from North Vermillion or coming from when he played at North Vermillion. So he's got them. Like I said, he's got the mechanics. It, it, it's like you said, Jacob. He's got to have that moxie. He's got to know how to respond to some adversity. And, and look, that's, that's, that's up to him tomorrow night. Uh, look, he's going to be challenged. 
he's going to be challenged by a really good Louisiana Tech team that can hit the ball. But if he hits his spots and he's able to kind of brush off some hits or maybe brush off giving up a run or two, and he can go a good six, seven innings and, 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 and get a win under his belt, that's going to be huge for this pitching staff. Uh, it's not, you know, because I'm looking at it as a, as a whole. I mean, we, we need some depth, man. We need some depth right now. So I, I'm, I'm pulling for Hayden to, to, to pull through, not only for just Hayden, but for our entire staff because, you know, we have seen some inconsistencies. So tomorrow night is a great, great opportunity for him as well as uh, it should give us some answers on where we can go moving forward with this staff and, and it'll add a little bit more uh, weaponry to, to not only the weekend but also the midweek games uh, moving forward because, look, we do have some pretty tough midweek games coming up. Uh, you know, playing LSU, we got a rematch with Nichols, we got a rematch with McNeese. They're not bad teams. So, you know, all those teams can hit the ball. So it'll be great to see what, uh, what these guys can do. Speaking of pitching depth, in April, sometime in April, kind of ambiguous at this point, but LaFleur and Marshall are both supposed to, supposed to come back. So that's two left-handed arms that we really need out of the pen. Uh, Marshall, in particular, can hit 93-94 if he's healthy. Uh, wipeout slider, good changeup. Blake can pitch. We need it. If Dirk can get going, would be huge. If Bo makes his way back with, you know, coming off of that last performance, you know the sky's the limit for Bo. If we get it right, back half of the season can be very interesting. Uh, looking straight ahead, though, we got Tech twice this week, and then we go to Arkansas State. Now, Nick made the comment that is absolutely true. We haven't exactly been a great road team this year. Uh, if you guys remember last year, Arkansas State, we did win the series, but we should have swept on Sunday. We came out with a goofy lineup, and it kind of sent us into a tailspin. Uh, and players still to this day talk about that, that game on Sunday against Arkansas State. What do you guys realistically expect? Do we, really, re, do we realistically expect to go up to Arkansas State and Jonesboro and get the sweep? I can tell you from the way we've been playing, I actually do expect to sweep. I don't ever say that. But I have watched Arkansas State play a few times. They have no pitching. The, their middle relief is absolute dog shit. They, they just can't hold leads. They can hit the baseball a little bit, but it, it's just they're just not good. They're not a complete baseball team. They make a lot of mental errors. Um, I, I'm really not worried about them. I think they're probably going to be the worst team we've played this year. Uh, but I do want to see the team respond on the road. It's time to go out and put together a complete weekend on the road. And if it has to be against an inferior opponent, so be it. What do you guys think about Arkansas State, and what do you think about the opportunity for a sweep actually is? Yeah, again, um, if we lose a game this weekend, it will be because of our own performance. They have 41 errors on the season. Team ERA is, is close to seven. Like 31, so yes, I see, Yeah, so I see no reason why we can't and shouldn't sweep them. But again, if we, if we start playing them close and – and try to get cute on offense and bunt when we should be swinging and swinging when we should be bunting, then I think we, we could potentially be in trouble to drop a game. But I will be severely disappointed. I don't want to be their first win in conference. They still have not won a conference game this season. So I certainly don't want to break that streak um, as a Cajun. So, yeah, I am fully expecting us to sweep, and anything less will be a disappointment. Their RPI is also something like 242. So honestly, yeah, it feels it'd be like, like St. A, Peter's all over. Yeah, it would be it feels a St. Like Peter's, Peter's all over again. Yes, that's how bad it would be. Honestly, it'd be it would be in the realm of St. Peter's. So <laughs> we kind of have to sweep, right? Looking at the schedule going forward, after Tech, we've got LSU, 
Uh, in fact, we just bought our Wally Pontiff tickets today, tonight, actually, and we're going to be sitting in, oh, uh, shit, I forget, fifth row of section, I don't know, whatever, right behind the dugout uh, on the away side. So we'll be there. Wally Pontiff is always a good t- uh, a good game. I, I preferred playing it at Zephyr, but LSU's not playing great baseball right now. Obviously, they're getting in the middle of the SEC schedule, and I know the SEC is perceived to be so great. I, I, I'm not really all that impressed with the, the overall SEC Tennessee being 27-1 and one right now is completely insane. Um, what do you, you play 28 games, you won 27. This is baseball. It's unbelievable. Um, there, there are a couple of high-end teams in the SEC, but I think that LSU is, I mean, they're really, as far as the way that I've seen them compete, they're really not all that much better than us if they are. You know, you go back to the fall and the scrimmages where we dropped each game by a run, but it was competitive throughout kind of how it feels like it might be in that midweek uh, Wally Pontiff and then the other game that we're going to play. So it'll be interesting to see how that LSU thing goes. Uh, Nick, what do you see out of the schedule coming up? Yeah, I was going to say LSU's kind of an enigma. Um, they go and beat Florida. What did they, did they get two out of three from Florida? They did, um, but they got their ass whooped on Friday. Yeah, they did. And they still have a losing record in the SEC, but somehow they're still ranked. So I think that's interesting. Again, the, uh, as I said, the inflated RPI deal when you're in the SEC, you're ranked just because. I think that's interesting. Um, so I don't know. I really don't know what to think of them. They can they can beat you by by scoring 30 runs, or they can uh, their bullpen can completely let them down. I can tell you, midweek LSU versus a Saturday LSU are, are two completely different teams. So uh, it'll be important to get get up on them early. So that's you know looking ahead, that'll be interesting. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. They remind me a lot of us earlier in the season where we really didn't find out who we were. We were kind of out there figuring it out along the way. I don't think that they've figured themselves out yet. I know they have a lot of talent, but it takes more than talent to win, especially in the SEC. So, um, that's, that's, that's the game I'm, I'm interested to see how that'll, uh, that'll play out. So um, about LSU, they're kind of like us. You know, the, the pitching has been kind of up and down, but they hit the ball well. Uh, and really, it's, it's like you said, it's a tale of two teams. You don't know which team's going to show up. You don't know if the, the weekend team against the SEC is going to show up. You don't know if the team in the middle of the week where they struggle against in-state opponents are going to show up. Hopefully the latter is the case for us. But, uh, you know, anytime we go play LSU, we always give them a good game. I know last year was kind of a fluke for the most part. You know, we kind of let them – jump to a lead early on but uh you know look we've we've really i mean they they're they're a pretty good matchup for us for a midweek because you know they like to they like to play johnny holstaff in the midweek games against in-state uh, opponents and we tend to hit the ball well against johnny holstaff so far uh so hopefully we can you know capitalize on that because that would be a huge rpi boost and of course our uh our twitter our twitter handle at raging review will be taking advantage of that if we get the win i wanted to make a comment about arkansas state Look, they're not a good team. Uh, we're on the road. You just got to go take care of business, man. And I'm talking, I'm not talking like go, even if you go win 2-1, 2-1, 2-1 and still get a sweep, you know, that's one thing. But I think this is an opportunity for us to open up the bat and, and really pitch well, play good defense. This is the weekend where you can really go against a team that's really struggling and, and, and build some confidence in your own team. Seeing what you can do to, you know, try to play errorless free, um, uh, you know, when you get your runners in scoring position, take advantage and score them, right? 
this is one of those weekends where if we go take care of business in Ruston, you go up to Jonesboro, this is an opportunity for us to really, to really kind of clean up some of our, some, a little bit of a, um, kind of clean up some of our mistakes we've made. This is a great weekend for us to kind of polish up the fundamental side of things. But at the same time, you don't want to take advantage of that because Arkansas State has a history of kind of playing spoiler at times against us. Uh, I want to say in 2014, we went up there and lost the game. Even though we won the series, we lost, I think, the Sunday game to them. And then, of course, last year, uh, you know, we took care of business the first two games with ease. Well, the third game, it was almost home run derby at the Teague. Um, and they, they, they went toe-to-toe with us with the bats. And I think a lot of people kind of credit that game as kind of the start of our little midseason slump. So, you know, this is an opportunity for us to go to Jonesboro and just go dominate, man. Don't, don't play that play-not-to-lose nonsense. Go over there and beat them by 10 runs. I mean, this is, this is a, they're not a good team, um, but you don't want them to sneak up on you either because they're going to be going after that first conference win. And I hate to say it, but I really don't want to be that team that they do it against. So, yeah, I just kind of look at this, this series as just a series to just go, go play mistake-free baseball and just build on it. What you're saying is that you don't want Tommy Raffo and Arkansas State to be uh, Richardson and ULM for Bob uh, to Degs, right? They're, they're, exactly. They've lost no, 10 in exactly a row, and right. they're due to win because they're a good team, right? Is that what you're saying? No, that, 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 no we're, too, <laughs> we're, we're too good for that, man. We're too good for that. I agree. What I want to see is I want to see a complete weekend. I want to go up there and right some wrongs, hit the baseball over the field, feel good about ourselves going into the rest of the schedule. And I want to see Tally Friday, Jacob on Saturday, Jeff on Sunday. I want to feel some continuity and some consistency. Deggs has been here two-plus years. Well, not quite two years, I guess, if you put it into, you know, as a season. But there's never been continuity. It's time. I want to feel like that we have some continuity, we have some consistency, something we can depend on. I want to see the lineup hit the ball or at least threaten, make the pitcher work all weekend. I want to play a full three-phase game all weekend long, and I want to do it with guys that I can, can, I can consistently rely on. That's what Arkansas State represents to me. Speaking of basketball, some defections on the roster. Trajan Wesley, Theo Akuba, Ty Harper. Sayonara, they're gone. One of the big arguments to keeping Coach Marlin was that uh, we wanted to keep the roster intact so we can make a run again next year. Now we're hearing rumors that Jordan Brown is also considering leaving the program for professional opportunities. Gentlemen, gentle ladies, anybody involved in the space, what are your thoughts on the roster going forward? We're going to have to plug some holes, obviously, but if Jordan Brown leaves, what does the 2022 and 23 season bring for Coach Marlin and the staff? So, as um, admittedly, I am not a a basketball fanatic. I follow them because they're the Cajuns. Um, I will, again, tell you they were difficult to watch last season until the conference tournament, then all of a sudden they, they knew how to shoot and play defense and not turn over the ball. Um but I will say, again, as you said, the whole premise of, of having Marlin coach into his final season of his contract, which you never see in college basketball or really any college sport, was that, well, we, we're going to have continuity and we won't lose guys because, you know, if we get a new coach, they'll all go into the transfer portal. 
So I've got two arguments to that. One, again, our players are not necessarily all going into the transfer portal, but we're getting word that, you know, like Kuba, like you said, is, is going into, um, going to declare as well as possibly Brown. So uh, we're, we have attrition there. Um, so I don't know what, what you have left as your reasoning if that continues to happen. Now, again, we're not losing our entire team like the, the team 60 miles down the road. I did have to, to, to poke the bear there. But, again, you were sold on the premise that we're going to have continuity. Our players are going to come back. We get a new coach. They'll leave. Um, and, and if they do leave, I mean, no offense to anyone who is a basketball fan or the players, the parents, but if they leave, I watched a turnover-ridden team last season that couldn't score when they needed to. So what? We get new players, so what? We're, we're still going to get new players in two years when we have a new coach come in anyway. So, yeah, I don't get it. I, I feel like maybe we were sold sold on this story that, that wasn't necessarily true, but it, it's going to be, it's going to be a tough season because again, I'll equate it to your an NFL team where you're hoping that they lose because you want them to get the best draft pick. But they, then again, you don't really want to pull for them to lose. So it's just going to be this weird limbo that I'm writing out next season um, as a casual basketball fan. So I don't know. It's um, I'm, I'm worried about the future for the next year, but, hopeful that this this puts the uh, final dagger to to move forward with the new coach go ahead jerry i know you're excited about this <laughs> so we can't so we can't make a change because if we make a change the players that were on the team that finished in eighth place in the sunbelt conference are going to leave am i getting that am i getting that right nail on the head buddy look to me that's always going to be a losing argument in today's today's world of college sports you know why two words transfer portal okay no matter what happens no matter what your basketball or football team does or baseball whatever no matter what your teams do the transfer portal is always going to be there so when i hear stuff like we can't do this with the coach because the player's going to leave or the player's going to stay one thing that has proven to us uh, over the past week or so is that doesn't matter players are going to come and go as they please that doesn't that doesn't mean uh, you know, because the coach stays, that the, that the player's going to stay. You know, this day and age, players, they, they, you, they'll tell you one thing one day of, oh, I'm not leaving, and then the next day they go. I mean, look at what happened with Cedric Russell and Malik Wilson last year before that uh, deadline. Same thing, right? So I, I don't think it's justified. Look, I know we had, they have their reasons of why they gave Coach Marlin another year, but if the argument and the whole battle cry of, uh, we're scared that players are going to leave was justification for doing that. And then it's the, to me, it's the wrong approach. Um, that's not the reason why you keep a coach around. The reason why you keep a coach around is, uh, you know, like, like a situation like we're in is, is money, it's contracts, buyouts. It's the fact that you finish strong in the, in the Sunbelt tournament, not because a player is threatening to leave. I mean, look again, team finished eighth place last year in the conference. I, I mean, if they want to leave, let them leave. Uh, even with Jordan Brown, um, now I haven't heard anything about Jordan Brown, but I'll tell, I'll tell you this, you know, I have been told by a few people that that was the big thing with Jordan Brown. If we make a change, Jordan Brown's going to leave. Well, now there's rumors that he might leave anyway. And I'll say this, if that dude leaves, 
that roster is going to have a lot of work to do to make up for somebody like that. Because, look, here's the thing. You just lost – look, you've lost your two bigs. Duguay graduated. You just lost Theo Akuba, who actually played really, really well in the paint in the Sun Belt Tournament, which you would have been very useful for us next year. And then you, you're, if, you might, if, you lo- if you lose Jordan Brown, that's all you're big. You're basically stuck with nothing but guards outside of maybe Kobe Julian. So, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I, I think it's a very, 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 very dangerous path uh, if, if Jordan Brown decides he wants to go pro or, or go in another direction. I hope not, but uh, I was very surprised with Theo Kuba's decision. And no, to me, you can never argue about a threatening a, a player threatening to leave to determine the fate of a coach. I mean, it, 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 again, we're in the transfer portal age now. That, that to me, goes out the window. So it's pretty much proven that over the past week or so with three of the guys going into the portal anyway. But I don't know. Well, you said Kobe, right? So Kobe's on, what, knee injury number three. He's also, let's just assume Jordan Brown leaves. Theo's gone. Wesley's gone. Harper's gone. Okay. Your two best players remaining, in my view, especially, you know, elder statesmen, if you will, are Greg Williams and Kobe. Well, look what happened when Kobe Julian went out. You never want a player to get hurt, but you saw Greg Williams blossom. This is the best. He played his best basketball in the tournament when he wasn't being overshadowed by, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, a three guard. I don't even know how they were. I don't even know what the set was like. I don't know what the roster reflected. Regardless, they were stepping on each other position-wise. So if Julian comes back, how healthy is he, number one? If he comes back, what do you do with Greg? Do you put him at the two and make him a total shooting guard and that's his role now? How does that change his play? How does that affect the way he plays? How does that affect Kobe? What do you do to replace the bigs? Do you bring back Thomas and let him be your point guard? He played well in the tournament, but he didn't play well in the season. Now, you can make an, an argument that he's a young kid and he learned a lot, and I thought that he actually matured a lot from the end of the season to the beginning of the tournament, so... I attribute a little bit of maturity to that. He made some much better decisions in the tournament. Still don't know if he's a top-flight Sunbelt guard, but but that's yet to be seen. Just the way the roster is right now, there's still a whole lot to be determined. But not even with this roster, how do you, as a coach in this final season of his contract, recruit anyone to come to the university not even knowing if you're going to be the coach the following season. I mean, to me, that's hard to recruit for. And if, Jerry, you're alluding to the fact that Brown may be the, the catalyst for, you know, if, if Marlon stays and Brown will stay, well, we saw our wide receiver on the football team say he's all in, and then a week later he's transferring to a school 60 miles down the road. You can't trust 18, 19, 20-year-olds to make decisions for your program, like you can't make decisions based on what they say or they think. So again, it's it's disappointing that that was the almost I, I struggle, but want to say excuse that they made to to keep him around when we all know the real answer. Um, it's but but again, if Brown leaves, I I don't know how you recruit to replace him. I I think you try to fill him in with what's on the roster, but I don't know that you have an answer on the roster. So. It's going to be, uh, yeah, it's going to be very telling this time 
or not this time, but in a few months when, when we know how this all plays out, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. JMV, I'll let you go, but I'll say this. If J- if Jordan Brown ends up leaving and we lose a Cuba and we lose a top 100 recruit uh, in Ty-, Ty Harper who didn't get the playing time he deserves, in our opinion, if we lose all those kids, it's a debacle. Sorry, they overshot the target. They totally miss on the narrative. The messaging has been bad with, with basketball from the jump. If Jordan Brown leaves and these other kids end up leaving and transferring or whatever, it's a debacle. I don't think that there's any other way that you can frame it. Yeah, I think we made a huge mistake by keeping Marlin, too. Something that nobody's talking about. Let's say we would have got rid of Marlin and hired a new coach. Who's to say he would have kept these kids anyway? So, I, I, I'm like Nick. It's all, I, I just think it's all an excuse. I mean, the new coach wasn't – if we had hired a new coach, he wasn't guaranteed to keep these kids anyway, nor would he have, may have wanted to keep the kids. That's something that we haven't talked about. Jerry, who did Georgia State hire? Donna Blank. The guy that Blank, just won the Blank. NIT. Sorry to put you on the spot. The point I was trying to make is that league members are getting better. They're actively going out. Now, I, lo- I know they lost their coach. Lanier went. I-, I understand that. But we're stuck in neutral. It feels like we're stuck in neutral to a large degree. Our fans are upset. Our, re- our season ticket retention is terrible. There is no excitement. There's more people upset about the decisions being made within the basketball program. And our arch rival in basketball is going out and hiring the guy that just won a postseason tournament, one of the two that matters. I'm sorry, it was uh, Jonas Hayes was getting looked at. I don't know if he got hired, but Jonas Hayes was uh, was a big time candidate for the job. I'm just gonna go a rant for a second before before we let Austin go. I'm gonna rant on the fact that Keith Gill was supposed to be our savior in basketball in the conference. And to your point, you said you know other teams are getting better. Well, uh, are they really? Because, again, Georgia State is obviously the class of the league at this point. Um, but we were sold on Keith Gill being the basketball guy, and he's going to get basketball back to where it was when Western Kentucky and UL were leading the league, and I just don't see it. Um, I don't know what he can do, but, again, that's what we were sold on. I just want to throw that out there that um, he's supposed to be our basketball savior, and I've, I've not seen it. The league still stinks. Austin, you're up, bud. Hey, no, I was just going to say that the uh, the team that won the NIT just now was Xavier. Also, I mean, just to go along with the rest of the conversation, I mean, I, I do feel, well, first of all, that this is kind of the first major coaching decision that I feel like Maggard hasn't been successful with. I mean, I guess that remains to be seen, but at least that people haven't been super pleased with. Um, but I also feel like at the same time that from everything we know, that it sounds like he kind of had his hand forced or his hands tied, however you want to look at it, and that he's not really 100% behind the decision, which is always a tough spot to be in as an AD whenever, as you guys pointed out, that, you know, his his reputation, you know, his resume kind of rests on these types of decisions. And when he's not given the ability to make them, you know, that's, that's a tough spot to be in. Agree 100%. It's, it's well said. Let me ask you this, Austin. We made a big deal about messaging and how the communication from the administration to the fan base was going to play into how people reacted to retaining Marlin and the basketball season next year and the, and, and the basketball program as a whole. How did you feel after you listened to Brian Maggard talk on uh, KPL with Scott and some of those misleading numbers that he threw out and how he doubled down on a few things and kind of how he said it was 
I mean, look, I know he said that it was his decision, but we also know that Brian is a bigger man than that. He's going to fall on the sword for his boss. That's what he's get. He gets paid to do in, in you know some respects. What did you feel about the messaging? Do you think that they missed the mark, or did you feel okay with how they delivered that? No, I thought it was totally off. I, I 100% agreed with what you said, that the messaging made all the difference. Um, you know, and the, 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 way that, the way that it's presented to us is going to have a huge impact on the way it's viewed. You know, if it's, if it's presented as, you know, well, you know, he's been a really good guy. You know, we're going to let him finish out this deal. Hopefully we retain all the players and we can try and build off of the success we had, but that was not at all what happened. And I think that just, I mean, it's hard to further alienate people, fans of the program than they already are, but that definitely didn't help. And as far as Maggard himself, I, I just thought he didn't sound enthusiastic like he normally does. Normally he's got a lot of energy talking about coaching searches and, you know, his big thing is always, you know, we look to hire the right kind of people, not necessarily like the names or anything like that, but the people that have to check all the boxes that we look for, character, you know, good recruiting, care about uh, academics, that sort of thing. And he just did not have that same kind of passion and energy. It, 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 you could hear it in his voice. Yeah, Austin, to, to uh, kind of build on that, at, for, from, from day one, Maggard always has had a plan that he's presented to the fans. And this is the first time in that entire, in the, his entire career as AD at UL that it didn't sound, one, genuine, and two, there was no plan. He just kind of threw things out there to see what would stick, but nothing really stuck because it was just, it was a bunch of random thoughts that I think he was trying to get through, which tells me, again, this wasn't really his decision, but I respect the man for, uh, as, as Josh had fallen, falling on the sword, taking responsibility for it. That's what a true leader does. But it's disappointing to know that that's where we are as a basketball program. I remember, hey, Jesse Evans, I remember those years, man. That was fun basketball. It was fun to watch. And I just keep thinking, I know I I joked about it the other night, but Glenn Cyprian was was hired as as a basketball coach to succeed um, Jesse Evans and, and obviously his his resume issues fell through, but I I just always think back to what would the program have been had he been hired because we fell off real quick after that point. Um, so yeah, uh, just disappointing in the whole messaging, the reasoning. Um, it, it just didn't sound like a typical Maggard decision. So that was that was disappointing. You ever notice at times, or like, if, let's say you're a lawyer, you're a defense attorney, and you have to basically, like, you have to defend somebody who you know committed the crime, and it's almost like you, you kind of, like, you kind of know they did it, even though you still try to win the case. And let's say, for instance, there's, you're not allowed to settle, right? You have to defend at all costs, even though deep down inside you know that person did it. I kind of get that same vibe here. Like, and I'm not trying to compare Coach Marlin as a criminal or anything like that. Please don't take my word. Like, don't don't take it out of context. Of what That's I'm going here. on the message board tomorrow, Jerry. I know, right? I mean, you know, according to some people in the fan base, you know, we say things and, you know, it gets twisted. But anyway, um, but it's kind of the same situation where it's almost like it's, it's like you're defending the indefen- indefensible, I guess is what I'm getting at. Like, you, you, you know, everybody knows that that the job isn't getting done, the standards aren't being reached. And even for Brian Maggard, knowing 
his background, knowing where he came from, knowing that knowing the way he hires coaches and knowing the type of standards he sets for the program, it, it just seemed that this whole thing just seemed very off. Um, and the way he talked about it on the on 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 Scott's show, like talking about, well, you know, the reason why we kept him around is because he's a nice guy and he does everything with class. And look, that's great. That's great. Look, we, I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm glad we. Uh, our program is run with class and, and without and without players getting in trouble and all those things. But it's also a result-oriented program. Um, you know, Josh, we talk about it all the time. You don't, you don't give somebody a bonus for showing up to work on time. It's the same argument. And so I think when, when, when Dr. Maggard was on the show trying to explain it, it's like you said, I don't know if, not to say he wasn't genuine, but I, I don't, I don't know he if he could really, if he really could have made a good case for for ju- for justification of keeping Coach Marlin. I mean, I just it's that sort of that vibe. It's that kind of I don't know, like the way he was talking about it. I mean, I, I just I don't know. Um, it just seemed something seemed off about it. So look, we're, we're, we got it. We 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 got another year. We have another year of this staff. We have another year of this, uh, of this team, and so. I don't. I don't know what's going to happen next year. I, I don't know. It's. It's. Um, I don't know. But Jerry, when it comes to <laughs> Brian, when it comes to Brian, we got to remember. We got to remember something. Okay, two things can be true at the same time. I like Brian personally and professionally, but good people and effective leaders can make mistakes, and I don't think that anybody can deny that he made a mistake on that interview. Hell, Josh, I like Marlin personally, but. And not necessarily professionally. Right. Like, yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, we can like the person, but we can not like the coach or the decision. And that, that can be separate. And I think a lot of our fans get so offended because they can't separate that. And so we're the bad guys. But, Thank you. But, but no one person is bigger than a program. I would have said that for Rove. I will say that for Deg. I'll say that for him. I'll say that for Zarmo. It doesn't matter who you are. We should hold every single sport to the same standard. And it's disappointing to me as a fan and supporter when we don't do that across the board, whether it's women's soccer, baseball, football, or basketball. The winning is is the ultimate goal. And when you don't get there and when you throw things that don't make sense on the wall to hope, well, maybe people will buy into that, that just doesn't vibe with me. Well, and then you become part of the problem. You become part of the problem. Andy, Andy, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to make a quick comment, then I'm going to let you go. Jerry and I make a – it's a joke between us, but, you know, we've said it before. Some of these people, some of these people, they want to bounce on Bob's lap and they want Bob to shove a noonie in their mouth, and they're pacified. They don't care about winning. They don't care about furthering the program and pushing the brand. They don't care about that shit. What they want is a seat at the table, and they want Bob to rock them and stick a bottle in their mouth. That's what they want. They, they just want to be rubbing elbows with people who they perceive to matter in this town. That's Lafayette. That's the LaFonda syndrome. It's all that crap. Y'all all know that. And I, I'm upset and a little disappointed in Brian for furthering that crap. I, I think it could have been handled better. I know it could have been handled better. And I, I'm just disappointed that Brian did what he did and said what he said, and I'm, I'll leave it at that. Andy, go ahead and make your comment, bud. Yeah, man, I just wanted to give a shout-out to Greg Williams Sr., who is listening in. I'd, I'd really like to kind of hear his perspective from a, a, a father of a son who's on the team 
and, uh, you know, kind of what his thoughts are, if he's comfortable with sharing some stuff. Mr. Greg, we'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to chime in, I'll go ahead and invite you to speak while we, we kind of chop it up a little bit. Jerry, I know you had a thought you wanted to finish. Yeah, I was just curious. Do we ever get clarification on the 75% winning uh, percentage? Well, I mean, I think you know the answer to that. I don't know where the hell it came from. I don't think Brian knows where it came from. Maybe he was combining JUCO with D1, and I, I don't know. I don't know where it came from, but it, it, it is not a correct number. No matter how you add it, there is no way to to justify the number. It was incorrect. I, I don't know how that happened. I, I really don't. I believe, as the kids say these days, the math ain't mathing. Yeah, Josh, and and... and- to kind of build on that, that 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 goes further into the whose decision was this? Because I feel like almost even that comment was something that he was told, right? To try to justify the reasoning. It feels behind. like it. Yes. Right. So that's why we're so we're so disenchanted by the messaging because none of it makes sense. So um, yeah, I, I, that's tough, and I think I've said everything I need to say. No, you, you said you said a lot, and you said a lot of things that made sense. You know, look, nobody's questioning anybody's character. Nobody's questioning anybody as a person. It's all about results. And I think what's so difficult is I look at this team, and even the guys transferring out, they're all decent players. We have good players. I think what's hard to watch now is the fact that we do have a talented team. We do have potential. And, and just something, something's just missing, something's been missing from it. And the problem is, is that the fan base has reacted by not showing up. The fan base has reacted by just becoming apathetic. So I don't know what the spark is. I don't know what, you know, I remember Coach Hud talked about when he first took the job in 2011 about how we were always a ticking time bomb and we were waiting to light the fuse. A fuse needs to be lit here, guys. I, I don't know what the fuse is, but a fuse needs to be lit here because there's potential, but it's just it's where it's not showing. I don't know why it's just not showing. No, I you know just to kind of complete the thought on Maggard and the messaging. I said it from the jump before it ever even got announced. You have to communicate to the fan base properly. It has to be sent out in a way that it can be palatable. You got to sell it as a swan song. You got to get the word from Marlon himself. And we've got to do this to where everybody understands that this is the last ride. It doesn't matter if you make the tournament. It doesn't matter how far this goes. It's got to be one. Of, you don't go 12 years of mediocrity and lose the fan base where it's absolutely a morgue and nobody shows up or cares and the apathy is at an all-time high. It, it, it can't be that long. It, it can't be that way for a decade. And then we make a tournament run and all of a sudden everybody forgets that. It's never going to happen. We, we posed the question on the last roundtable. Even if we win, does the fan base come back? Does Lafayette fall in love with Bob Marlin again? And I want to say that every single person that spoke on it said no. And I think you got to re- – it doesn't matter if you agree with the opinion or not. You have to respect the fan base's opinion. Mr. Gray, go ahead. Yes, sir. How you doing? Uh, thank you for allowing me to speak. Yes, sir. Uh, let me first say, look, I'm, I'm a proud U.S. graduate, USL, if you will, 93. I've been following the basketball since I was in school, starting in 89. Um, it's it's a funny perspective now because I have a son playing. Before that, I'm a fan just like you. Um, I feel that fan. 
the fan base is very important. I mean, just as important as the players, just as important as the coach. Um, you know, and it's real difficult as a parent to, to speak at this time simply because, you know, my son is playing for him. You know, he's coaching and, you know, there are a lot of dynamics in it. Um, his first year was interesting. You know, I, he played, um, you know, originally he came here to get his back together. Back is fine and now he's rolling. And I was glad he got an opportunity to play in a tournament. Um, and they made it to the championship. Um, but the tough thing about it is now, will that same team come back? I mean, everybody has decisions to make. And, you know, Theo made one. And, you know, we don't know what Jordan's going to do, you know. And, and Greg is working out, getting prepared to come back next year and help the team in any way he can. So, I mean, it's a tough decision that the AD had to make. And, I mean, I mean, it's, it's real tough. You know, it's easy. It's easy for us to kind of sit back and judge, but let me say this. I appreciate each and every one of you guys that are still talking about every sport, you know, and, and as a parent, I appreciate it. I'm sure the players do. Um, you know, even though some people may not be on the side, I'm sure Bob does, because if you don't talk about it, you don't care. You have to look at it like that, in my opinion. I, I just think that I can't speak on the, the coaching, you know, situation. That's not That's not really for me. You know, I'm here to support my son, and, and he's trying to help the program get as far as they can. So, um, but I like listening to you guys. And look, to me, it matters a big. It, you know, fans matter. I love y'all. I love your fire. I love everything that you're doing, and um, that's why I come and listen because I want to be connected to you guys. You know, it's important how you feel. I just want that to be known. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the point we've been trying to make is that regardless if it's positive or negative, we're still in the trenches trying to figure out how do we progress this program in this athletics department. And I, I would ask you this. You know, mm-hmm. Greg, he comes in with a ton of talent. I, I've seen him play since he was in high school, and I, I was so excited that he decided to come home. What, mm-hmm. in your opinion, really pushed him over the edge in the tournament? Was it the fact that, you know, he kind of had more of a defined role uh, did it feel like maybe Bob was relying on him a little bit more? What 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 was it that the tournament really brought out the best in Greg this year? Well, you know, I think what really helped him the most is he developed an understanding of what he thought the team needed. And I think the coaches, yeah, I think um, at first when the season started, he was kind of off a little bit because initially he was trying to be a two, but they wanted him to also be a one. And it's two, you know, totally different dynamics, two different mentalities. And for the tournament, he was strictly focused on being a playmaker. You know, he wanted to either knock down a three, hit a mid-range, or penetrate and throw an alley-oop with two 6-11 bigs that was easy to do. And I think in the tournament, it's just he felt that's what he needed to do, and the players also wanted him to do that. Um, And then when the coaches saw it, they just kind of step back and say, hey, you guys on the roll. I don't want to mess up anything. Just do what you do. And it was, it was very successful. Um, and that's why I say when everyone is on that same page, you know, the team can get a lot done. Um, you know, and I, I think that's what it was for him from what he was telling me. You know, he just felt more comfortable in attack mode. And, you know, teams don't really know which Greg they're going to get um, early on in the year. Um, was he going to be the 
facilitating Greg or was it going to be the attacking Greg? And in this tournament, I think you saw that he was really looking to score, attack, didn't let him miss phasing, um, didn't want to get in foul trouble, but still play good defense. And, you know, uh, it ended up well in the tournament. So we're hoping that next year we can have that success throughout the season and not just in a tournament. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's very interesting because I'm on record, and, and Matt and I mean uh, Nick and Jerry will back me up on this. I have uh-huh. long said that we have ruined many a guard at this school since Marlon's been here <laughs> trying to make shooting guards combo guards. It drives me absolutely right. insane. We don't space the floor well enough for our twos and threes, and we try to turn twos into combos. It drives me absolutely insane. So I'm, I'm, very, I'm very encouraged by your comment there. Nick, I know you have something. Yeah, I was just going to say, Mr. Williams, I appreciate your your comments tonight. And I just want to throw it out there again that we will support your son and every single player that we have on our team next season, regardless of who the coach is, you know, next season going forward. And um, just because we're, we're disappointed in the decision they made with the coach, um, we're, we're happy your son is a member of the team. We will support him and support you guys and welcome you in as, as Raging Cajuns uh, through and through. So, so thank you for taking the time to join us and, and speak tonight. No problem. Thank you, guys. Y'all have a good one. Yes, sir. Thank I'm you, Mr. Gray. <laughs> All right. Good deal. Yeah, I just, I just want to say real quickly, uh, Mr. Gray, thank you so yes, much for giving, for giving your opinion and giving your kind words. And, look, I, I, at the end of the day, we're all Cajun fans. So your son, wears the, your son wears the Louisiana uniform. We got his back. Uh, I tell you, I will say, though, uh, mm-hmm. he went from a level two to like a level 10 in the tournament. It was a beautiful <laughs> to behold. That, I mean, I, I, I felt like if he would have entered a three-point contest, he might have won. Uh, <laughs> but, but it was good to see him fill in the role that we all knew he was capable of. And, and you know, I just want to say something real quickly because I know you, you played for USL, right? No, I didn't. I actually was you just did. a student. I was going to okay. walk on. But I didn't actually play. No, I didn't. Okay, so you attended USL around a time when basketball was kind of a was a big deal. And I'm talking was, like yeah. I'm talking a team that was back in the '80s and early '90s. You know, I think they went to. I, I found a fun fact for those who don't know, and you were probably there at the time when uh, the USL basketball team went to Rupp Arena and beat yes. Kentucky. And uh, I think they still hold the record for the most points scored by an opponent uh, at Rupp Arena. Believe it or not, uh, UL yes. has. Yeah, so. So I think that's what's so frustrating now uh, is that I, I, I look back at memories like that and go, you know, we can still do that. We still have the capability to be a program that can go do stuff like that. And there's no reason why, especially when we have players like your son, who is good enough to compete with those type of teams, in my opinion, um, why we can't do that. And, and I think that's, you know, it, 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 it's hard to see when our team struggles because, like I said, the potential is, is is obviously there but like Nick said uh regardless of what we think of a coaching staff regardless of what we think of the program we're always going to support the players and that includes your son so uh we're very excited to have Greg back uh it's good to see him back in vermilion and white but uh you know we're still going to talk about it because we 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 know that this 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 program is capable to do great things we've seen it before Uh, I know you've seen it before so um, you know, uh, we definitely have Greg's back and, um, no, we, we want to thank you for coming on and, and, and look, I know for you, it's very, it's not, it's not the easiest thing to see it from both angles. Cause I know as a father, you, you want what's best for your son, but also as a fan, uh, you know, I know there's been a lot of, um, 
just, uh, uh, I guess, I guess the best way to describe it is displeasure with the, some of the fan base. But just want to let you know, at the end of the day, we do still support your son, and uh, you know, come back to our space anytime. And with that, gentlemen, let's let everybody get back to the national championship game that we're not watching. But anyway, listen, everybody, it's been fun. This was great. Uh, again, one of our longer spaces, but honestly, one of our most informative. So it's been fun. We're going to try to continue to do this either Sunday night or Monday night, depending on schedules and how everything shakes out. If you guys have questions or thoughts throughout the weekend, write them down, whatever you got to do. Please participate. It makes it fun for everybody. And again, we do it for you guys. So thanks again. Thanks for coming. For Nick, for Jerry, I'm Josh. Good night.